Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hey, you beautiful people. Okay, this week we've got something super exciting. We've got Ellie's amazing dietitian, Dahlia, with us to talk about all of the things that we should be aware of when we're taking a break from alcohol and and looking at the bigger picture of where as well of like healing our gut and all these kinds of things. It was a really beautiful discussion where we we really do look at the combination of kind of the the spiritual and the scientific and getting to the to, like this is so at the heart of of what we're up to here. So we're super, super excited to put this podcast out. So just a really quick announcement. If anyone didn't catch it yet, very soon, you are going to get the chance to get a bonus episode from me and Ellie each week. You're going to have the ability to be able to request podcast episodes and we will respond to them. So you're going to have us in your pocket as coaches, as friends, as present and sober, as Sam and Ellie, as all those things, you're going to have us in your pocket. And um, many of you have requested it. We're really, really excited to put it together and there's going to be merch on the way soon too. You're going to be able to walk around sporting that shirt or that hat or a few other really cool things. I won't, uh, I won't, uh, what's the word, announce quite yet. All right, team, without further ado, I hope you're enjoying October, whatever's happening on. If you're in the middle of a sober October, if you're in the middle of a figuring out what's going on with your relationship with alcohol, if you're just having an October and enjoying tuning into this. Hope you're having a great day, whatever you're up to. See you there. Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast. And it's a very special episode today because we have a lovely guest. We've got Dahlia here with us today. Hello, Dahlia. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. I'm very excited to have Dahlia here. Some of you might have heard me talking about Dahlia without realising who she is. Uh, So Dahlia has been helping me with my gut. And uh, some of you might have heard the poo story. In fact, we might, Sam and I were talking before we came on about the poo. So we might talk about the poo because it's funny. Um, uh, Dahlia, Dahlia's been helping me with my uh, with my gut. And this came off the back of having the iron infusion I had a while ago. And there's a wonderful doctor that, uh, what was I calling him? Iron Man. So Iron Man pointed me towards Dahlia. And uh, Dahlia's a, a dietitian. She's going to talk about um, what, uh, how she works with her clients and give us lots of information about what we might want to consider when we're taking a break from booze. Uh, but I, I really wanted to get Dahlia here because she's just been a wealth of information and help and support to me. And I wasn't quite sure, uh, I don't think I've said this to you, Dahlia, but I wasn't quite sure what to expect when I came to you. And I was a bit nervous. And within our first you know, first five minutes of our conversation, you told me that you'd eaten a nice lolly. I think you swore a little bit and you agreed with me when I said I fucking hate cooking. So I really loved you and was no longer nervous at that point. <laughs> oh, I'm always honest. Definitely honest. <laughs> um, so I thought a good place to start might be, because I didn't know this either. What um, Could you tell us the difference between a dietitian and a, a new nutritionist? 
Have I got sure. the titles right now? I'm yeah, yeah, that's right. Some people call me, well, they say nutritionalist, and I'm like, ah, oh, no. Uh, so <laughs> dietitians are, we're, we're like physiotherapists, we're like allied health uh, forces. Um, so we're the most regulated in terms of nutrition practice. So you'll only find dietitians in the NHS, for example. Whereas, unfortunately, at the moment, there isn't any real regulation for who can call themselves a nutritionist. So I know some fantastic nutritionists that have completed, you know, really high level training in nutrition and they're brilliant. But I know a huge amount that give people eating disorders and really misinform people and um, take a lot of money for unnecessary tests and things like that. So it's I, I know some bad dietitians as well, to be honest. Um, it, it's very tricky, but you're much, much safer always in terms of nutrition going to see a registered dietitian, but make sure you, you find a good one um, because we are highly trained medically as well. So you'll find us, you know, from the NICU at the hospital through to end stage um, and throughout the life cycle, we work uh, on getting people to eat as best as they can. So whether that's tube feeding or, you know, babies, um, we do all of it. Um, so we also work in public health a lot. Um, that's not my that's not my thing. I love the clinical work one to one with people or doing groups. Um, but yeah, uh, safer with a dietitian. It's a bit like the difference between going to someone who's done a diploma in personal training versus a highly qualified physiotherapist. So you want to today, especially with all the mixed messages about nutrition, you really want to be careful who you give your time to in terms of who's going to be helping you support your health, because there's a lot of uh, confusion out there. I often say I'm like the hairdresser that has to fix bad haircuts from the oh, nutritionist yeah. that came before me. Um, so I hope that answered the question. It it certainly does. I like the um, the picture of it because I've, I've had one of those before, not recently because I've got a lovely... We all have. <laughs> yeah, I've had many. Some might argue. My worst haircut, I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't have my dinner that evening. I was so traumatized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, isn't it? It is. Does Robin still cut your hair, Sam? She does. She's an expert at it now. So basically over the whole lockdown thing. So it's really only the, the undercutty bit. I've actually got quite a lot of hair, Dahlia, but it's hidden under this hat. It's um, very hidden. I was thinking I'd like a shaved. Yeah, no, so it's a bit, so it is. It's down to a zero down the side. She's an expert at it now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do actually, um, now that she's left teaching and she's got her own, I, I pay her for it as well. So I make sure she gets her. Oh, help. good. Oh, I'm glad you're paying her. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Um, and so just be, before we dig into the alcohol stuff, could you just tell us a little bit about your own practice, Dahlia, and how you work with with clients like me? And and then maybe so we can talk about the poo as well, because this is my Ah, uh, yeah, I love to talk about poo. Um, I'm all about the poo. And I had a mother growing up where I wasn't allowed to say the word poo, and she still can't tell me why. I'm very weird. So I was like, no wonder I developed IBS, like that kind of pressure. I couldn't even talk about what I was doing. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I'm fully in private practice now and have been for six years. But before that, I've been a dietitian for 16 years now. And so before that, I did do tandem private practice and NHS. And so in the NHS, um, I was clinical specialist in pediatric diabetes. And then my last role in the NHS was a community lead for obesity and overweight. So I've done everything. Um, but private practice was always what I wanted to do. Anyone that knew me when I was studying to be a dietitian, I had my eyes very firmly on having my own practice because I really value the quality time with my patients and the continuity of care that we can get. So I'm a generalist. I'm a general practitioner. As much as I'm told, once you're 16 years into clinical practice, you should specialize. I don't want to. And I always say to my patients that if I don't nail this for you, I will send you on to a specialist. But let's start with me. I nail it most of the time. 
Um, Because nutrition is not like surgery, as in you really do have to look at the full picture of what's going on. And so bringing in a broad range of skills really does work very, very well. Um, I do do a lot of gut work. And so if I had to specialize in anything, it probably would be that. And so we look a lot at the gut microbiome, which is, you know, this is the future of medicine right here. And who is living inside your gut and how are they impacting your health? Because we know now that the types of bacteria you have living in your gut um, have a massive impact on all aspects of health, whether it's mental health, arthritis or Parkinson's disease. Um, So really tending to that gut and listening to how your gut is communicating with you is important. It's also crucial to say that some people are asymptomatic in their gut, so they're not feeling anything and they could have something as severe as celiac disease. And so really listening to your body and your energy levels and all the other kind of hints, you know, when you when you don't feel right, keep pursuing help until you find out what it might be. Mm-hmm. And um, just um, just thinking about the, the good itself, mm-hmm. what's could you talk a little bit about what happens when we drink and the kind of the effect that alcohol has on the gut? So alcohol is not a food, yet it can interfere with our ability to eat food because it's very rich in calories. And so, um, you know, I, people don't hear me use that word very often, calories, because it's certainly not a method I employ in, in teaching my patients about nutrition because it's not relevant. You know, nutrition is relevant, but with alcohol, it becomes very relevant because you're taking in a lot of energy units, calories, without the accompanying minerals and vitamins and fiber and protein and so on. And so when you're drinking regularly, you will be taking in energy units, but at the same time, causing this erosive malnutrition to yourself. Um, And it depends how heavily you drink, obviously. Um, But I had a patient yesterday, for example, and he's very overweight and he only eats two small meals a day, yet he drinks like 12 cans of lager, right? And, you know, he's like, I don't know where my weight is coming from. So I was taking the time to explain to him about what was going on and why he was so fatigued all the time. Mm. So number one is that alcohol, it gives you energy units, not necessarily energy, because it's not how the body works, without the nutrition. So it can lower your appetite because your body won't ask for food when it has enough energy sometimes. And so over time, people become more malnourished. It will also feed the more pro-inflammatory bugs in the gut and yeasts. And so people can end up with chronic yeast infections, which cause digestive symptoms, brain fog, skin issues, you name it. Um, And then other inflammatory uh, conditions because when we are shifting the balance of the gut over to more unfriendly bugs like weeds in the garden, that causes a systemic inflammation, which will express itself differently individual to individual based on their genome. So with me, it'll affect my tummy. Someone else will get headaches. Someone else will get rosacea on their face, for example. And so over time, you're really pushing the physiology of the body over to a place where it's not optimized at all and can you know, end stage, obviously, the liver is damaged and the liver is part of the digestive system. Um, very basically, um, people will be fatter than they want to be when they're drinking too much alcohol because it's a very fast release type of energy. And so you're storing fat really quite efficiently from it. It's also causing fluctuating blood glucose levels. So you can have blood sugar crashes, which then drive you to eat more sweet things. Um, it's really quite a mess, actually, because it's not... We weren't really designed. It's a, in nutrition, we have a term essential, right? Essential fatty acids, essential minerals and vitamins. That just means we must eat these in order to survive. Alcohol is not an essential nutrient. 
And studies are actually showing that it's better to have, in terms of disease risk, it's better to have no alcohol than a little bit of alcohol. So, you know, that's not me being, you know, a party pooper and saying never drink, but, you know, we can't paint it as something that helps to enhance health. It's it's really important you say that because I think for so many people, they're still carrying around a lot of the stuff they heard in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. about reduced risk of this and red wine is good for your heart. Red wine, Mediterranean diet, yeah. And, you know, now when we know when you kind of control for healthy user bias and all those things, like those, those benefits just disappear. It was effectively they just do. like, you know, not, not. They do. Yeah. And it's not to say, you know, when I had met Ellie and I had an ice lolly, right? I didn't need that ice lolly. That sure. ice lolly didn't give me, it made my soul happy because sometimes I want to be six years old again and just have an ice lolly. I'm particularly fond of the Aldi uh, watermelon ones with the chocolate chips at the moment. Oh, they sound like great. They're really nice. Very, like really cheap for a box of 12. <laughs> anyway, um, my, my kids love them and I want to have an ice lolly too, right? I'm having it for my soul. I'm not having it. My body doesn't need it. And with patients, I often have a debate about, you know, the concept of need. You don't need that. Well, what yeah. does that mean? My soul needs that at the moment. I want, I want to be happy with an ice lolly. So alcohol can serve the same purpose, but I think it's important to have a good clarity of mind of how does this thing serve me in my life? What does this do for me? That's the kind of the the clarity that we need as humans in our development and our interaction with things like alcohol or sugar or so on. Um, it that It's not about, you know, it's about when it becomes unhealthy for us, whether when it's causing destruction, we are resilient as beings. We can put fun things into our body to an extent if the broad in the broad broad spectrum, our life is is nourishing for us. Our relationships are nourishing. Our nutrition is nourishing. We have a good balance. I mean, when my gut, my gut personally was in very bad shape, I was not eating ice lollies at that point because my body didn't have space to take that on as a physiological stressor. Now it does. Thank God, I'm very healthy. But that's kind of the the way we need to look at it. I think from from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And right now we're so we're in the middle of sober October got a bunch of folks that are um, with Sam and I in the alcohol experiment and maybe taking a break for the first time or, um, uh, you know, just just starting to look at their relationship with alcohol for the first time. And there's a bunch of things that um, come up, kind of questions that we have, and we'll we'll talk about those in in a moment. But from a um, kind of medium to long term perspective, where where people are looking to make that kind of a shift in their relationship with alcohol to remove it entirely or to cut back significantly and moderate. What what's kind of the prognosis like? Can the can the gut um, heal itself? Like what 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 happens when we take a break? Um, I'm not an expert in what happens when we take a break. Um, you know, uh, in terms of the whole body, um, what I do know as someone who works clinically was you know for, have done for many years that our bodies are miraculous machines that want to thrive and we just put the right stuff in and they really our bodies really do their best and so let's say we had somebody whose gut had really suffered um they were having gastrointestinal symptoms and generalized just n- not feeling good and they were to quit alcohol yes things would start to regenerate immediately um it's like it's literally like a garden mm. It's literally like a garden. But then as the weeks went by with the regeneration, we get to see the stumbling blocks. We get to see, you know, where do we need to have intervention to help the body get over this hump? So, you know, for many years, I had a 
a bug living in my gut that I must have picked up in childhood. I needed some supplements to help get rid of that. My my gut's own immune system didn't get rid of that, but I'm sure I was in still in better shape from my healthy diet than I would have been had I been, I don't know, doing something really destructive day in, day out. So yes to replenishment. Yes, it's always a good time to start taking care of yourself. No, it's never too late. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say. And I think that when people are trying to they're contemplating a pause or a shift. It's a wonderful time to get some blood tests done because that information there will let a person know, well, from here, which road do I want to go down in terms of my usage of alcohol um, or other lifestyle changes? You know, because you'll need someone really good to look at the blood test who looks at the nuances. GPs don't look much at the nuances of bloods, but um, there should always be hope and there should always be a moment where, you know, you give your body love um, and ask it to get better for you. It can do it. Mm. I love yeah. that you. I love that you shone a light on two things. The first, because the first one, where this kind of initial just boost that a lot of people report, or there's potentially actually a bit of a detox, and then more energy, and then we feel better, and then a lot of stuff. But then we do come up against, um, you know, longer term things, things that have been hanging around in the background, things that we didn't know were there. And I think a lot of people, they can feel like when those things come up or when they when they become conscious of them, that they're going backwards, when actually it's a signpost, it's a beautiful thing to explore because exactly. it's through those that we heal. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So something I always bring up with patients is that I got a patient last week and um, she has a lot of gastrointestinal problems and she's also got other issues that point to probably not tolerating dairy very well. And when I said to her, you know, I need you to give give up dairy for six weeks and let's just see how you feel she's like but I don't react to dairy I don't react to dairy and I said this is quite a difficult concept to explain in words but well I find it difficult to explain what I mean um with this but if you're if you're feeling chronically shit right you can't tell what's contributing to feeling chronically shit Mm. because it's just chronic when you start to get better and you have these good days and then you get these acute spikes of shitness that's the next stage. Mm. And we sometimes have to take something out of our life completely to then expose that the, you've got the peaceful music playing and then we've got the scratching noise of a symptom of something. We can't do that when we're in a chronic state. So we like that stage of when we're, spike, we're spiking with symptoms, having a bad day. Oh, what's the point? I'm, I'm going backwards. No, you're going forwards. You're peeling back. Now we can start to organize what's what. But we can't do that when there's chronic noise. And so this is why it's so helpful to give up something like alcohol for a period of time and see, well, I always say to my patients, you know, I know this is an important thing in your life, alcohol, caffeine, whatever it might be. But would you like to meet yourself without it just for a month? You know, just just meet. What what can you lose? Mm-hmm. And of course, when people are very scared of doing that, it, it shows how this thing has an impact on that. I've, I've got many a patient who burst out crying when I ask them to give up cheese. Cheese and chocolate are two very, very emotional foods um, for people. But exactly that. It's the next step, actually. It's not backwards. It's just people are so attached to feeling better all the time. Like, I must be happy all the time. It's the same, you know, concept about mental health. If I'm unhappy, you know, it's a disaster. No, no, that's just part of being a human. We have weather systems of emotion that teach us things. And so we must be able to sit with all of it. It's the same thing. Yeah, I love that. That's so at the heart of so much we talk about here. And that mirrors the alcohol-free journey in the sense that 
many people they report you know this kind of pink cloud thing which we've kind of dive we've we've taken a dive into that and pulled that apart a bit but what can often happen after is that a lot of the reasons why it makes sense for us to have a very imbalanced relationship with alcohol come to the surface a lot of the emotional things come up and that you know that's that is actually beautiful and it's nothing to be afraid of and i think leaning into powerful sure of course they are of course and that but that just just you know uh... I'm quite stiff my physically as in I'm I'm quite strong but I'm I'm stiff I'm not one of those bendy people I go to yoga class <laughs> I can't touch my toes I can touch my toes if I work on it every day yeah. but I'm not one of those people who just bendy right that just means I need to do more of the stretching not less mm. and mentally as well if we're if we're if we're terrified of particular emotions we need to learn to sit with them more and so this is this is the problem, when, and I, I don't blame people. Life is so hard. Sometimes we we need a crutch, you know, for a period of time. And often I, I had the most moving patient whose both her daughters were extremely unwell in infancy and toddlerhood. So she had like five years of her life that was just wiped, right? Mm-hmm. And she became extremely obese during that time. And I said to her, you know, first we need to thank the food that yeah. kept you alive. Yeah, yeah. Those cookies, those cakes, those binges kept you alive. So first we say thank you, and then we say. I don't need you anymore, thank God. So I'm going to start sweeping up and organizing my drawers and my cupboards in terms of myself and find some peace after this storm that I've gone through. But it's, yeah, it's about growth, isn't it? Beautiful. Absolutely is. I heard just, Ellie, I know you're probably desperate to say something, but I just, I heard something the other day that really struck me. It was, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. Um, That's hit by that. Okay, I need need that printed on my wall. Let's call her. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's 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 it. That's just it. Ah, this is good. I knew this was going to be good. Um, <laughs> and I, and I don't I, I don't want to go off down too much of a tangent on this, but what but I, I do think it's important to mention because it what happened in my experience. So coming up four years ago was when I um, went alcohol free, and this was uh, through discovering the science of art alcohol work with the brain and body and going through the alcohol experiment myself and I was just utterly blown away with how different I felt in a very short space of time mm. and the only real I'd, I'd taken you know I could take days off here and there and um you know I used to do the the, the moderation thing of I'll only drink on a weekend and then I'd be a bit mm. miserable during the week but I, I could do it um but other than taking that break in the alcohol experiment, my only other breaks in adulthood were really in pregnancy. And so I didn't, I had no idea what was coming up for me, both from a, a physical perspective uh, and also what we've just talked about in terms of like the emotional shifts and, and so on. But what one thing that I am, it, it was very turbulent for a while, but I'm so glad it happened. When alcohol was out of the way, I could understand what was going on and it took a while hormonally beneath the surface and you know one of the biggest things um so someone I was talking before we came on what did you say to me Sam about I had to take my, my top off because I was getting hot and what did you say I can't remember I can't remember what you said now it was really funny he was basically pointing towards the fact that you know I'm perimenopausal well, <laughs> well it's like it's very hot outside but this may be this may be something else that's going on I'm not sure this, this may be the other <laughs> thing that you have going on over anyway um but that whole the whole um early ovarian insufficiency i don't know i mean it still took me i think at least 2 years to get to you know diagnosis of what was going on and to then get hormones but 
I, I often wonder, like, what would have happened if I was still drinking? Because I had no idea. Like, I, I didn't know what my baseline was. That's so it, it, it's it's so important. And I think, um, you know, um, it, this is largely because of my experience, but as a woman or, you know, in, in a female body and uh, of a certain age, then this, this is what's coming. And I had no idea what any of it was about because nobody ever talks about it. And it's... You know, and, and, and even people going through it generally don't talk. I talk about it all the time now because I'm on a I'm mission. I'm like you. I'm like you. <laughs> Let's talk about what happened to me after I gave birth. Let's talk about yeah. my hormones. Because people, we need to talk about it more. Yeah. Because it's so lonely. It is so lonely when things are happening to you and nobody you don't told you to expect it. And you've got to show up to your life. And this stage of life is so intense. I mean, I'm 44. It's really intense, right? And you're like, ah, what's happening to me? But it's so important what you said. Mm. It really, really is. You know, the whole perimenopause thing and menopause, I'm so pleased that it's being spoken about so much these days. But it's really interesting for me as a as a clinician because I'm like, you know, I'm a massive supporter of HRT. But first, I want women to stop drinking alcohol, stop drinking caffeine, start eating some more green vegetables, start after so many years of taking care of others, which is most women's lives. Let's get our iron levels up. Let's get all these things up. And then let's see how we feel. Can we transition this very normal stage of hormonal shift naturally? And if we can't, let's get some support. But we can make the decision for the hormonal support based on a stable human body instead of one that has stimulants going in and depressors going in and not enough protein and not enough B vitamins and, you know, you name it, mm-hmm. right? Everyone should have a workup with a good dietitian at the age of 40 as a woman. Um, I get all bloods done. And so we can see from there, because like you're saying, you're putting one thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. We don't know. We don't know whether we're coming or going. Mm. And we don't know if that's truly helpful or if it's just complicating things. Um, So peeling it back is such an important concept. That's why I was um, saying to a friend that I love the word perimenopause and menopause. I love that has pause in it, because for me, that is really symbolic. Just pause. Hang on a second. What have you been doing? You know, now at the you know, Dahlia, at the age of 44, which behaviors and habits do you still employ that you've got from your 20s and 30s that no longer serve you in any way, shape, or form to be a healthy, well-rounded human being? Let me just tidy that up. Let me see a psychotherapist. Let me go to a personal trainer. Let me sleep. Let me look at my diet. You know, I can look at my own diet, obviously, because I don't need someone for that, but I need think people for other things. And then let me make a decision. Let me meet myself. And then let me go into the second half of my life, God willing, you know equipped mm-hmm. and women aren't stopping to do that sometimes no no and and largely because of what you pointed out earlier around the like when you're caregiving particularly you you come last if at all and and this is what we see day in day out with um folks that are in the programs that we coach and what have you that just have no idea and I was the same I had no idea how to take care of myself I remember um going to a, a therapist, like in desperate need, I was just, I was exhausted. I was utterly yeah. strung out, struggling to cope. And uh, he'd helped me with some bits and pieces in my past. And, and I went to see him and he said, look, he said, I, I can't help you. He said, you need some social support. You need some sleep. You need somebody to babysit your kids for you. And I, like, I can't do any of those things. And within that conversation, he was uh, encouraging me to look at my means of self-care. And rather embarrassingly at the time the two things that were on my list were yoga and wine that's like the, the only two that's things better than I, me 
I was, I, I just felt going to the dentist to get a filling was like, I fell asleep. I fell asleep yeah. while I was having a filling. That's how bad it was for me. I was like, what the actual fuck has happened to you? Yeah. Like, where have you gone? Yeah. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're the only time off from your kids and your work is, you know, and thankfully I love my job, right? What about people that don't love their job? Oh my mm. God. Right. Mm. And so I fell asleep at the dentist. I was like, oh, I've got a bit of a break while I've been injected and numb and they're drilling in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's not embarrassing at all that you had wine and yoga. I think that's, I think that's quite good, actually. But it's still really but shit. Still. <laughs> it's still really shit. It's like our spectrum is completely, mm. it's just it, the whole bell curve is just wrong, right? Mm. So you mm. realized it was wine. Mm. Yoga you can keep. <laughs> wine, it depends, right? Oh. Yeah. And, and this whole thing, like the, I was talking to people uh, on a, a call, I think it was yesterday. Just about because I, I remember it all seeming so impossible. Like you know, well, what what else could possibly work as effectively as? Because you think wine works because of that depressant effect, because mm-hmm. it's a good anaesthetic temporarily. Temporary. Um, but it's like the, the the worst thing that you can do for your nervous system. And yeah. when when you and this is why we love coaching the experiment because when you start to give people this um, opening into exploring other ways to support yourself and to mm. soothe yourself it's really quite incredible what you can discover and and the and and, and one of the things that i love about it is we're, we're all such uh so unique and so individual that different things are going to excite different people and different things are going to soothe different people and it's just it's a really um it, it it's uh it i just I, ho- I love the whole discovery thing i love trying I, that's that's what with, does it for me and my job as yeah. well it is each individual person coming who are they what is going to switch them on and I, I just get the joy if someone has to ask me to summarize like what the joy is for me returning I, I call it returning someone to their essence mm-hmm. yes. you know, yeah. all of us have given birth to humans that you know we they they're born with this essence this this is who they are they're pure and you know then life comes in and it it, it pushes us in different directions that's when I was saying I'm in the dentist chair where have you gone Dahlia where the hell have you gone you were this whole person who you can't even think about what music you like to listen to anymore like you just where have you gone right and so, and then when people gradually make that pathway back and you bear witness to that, it mm. is, it never gets boring mm. ever. Yeah. It's super cool. Cause as it look, you know, as I see it, that journey is not a journey in the way that a lot of people think it's subtractive. It's like, it's all been eclipsed by a bunch of beliefs and thinking and stuff. That thing, that light that was shining through you when you were a kid and you didn't have a self-concept yet, like that's still there. That's not gone it anywhere, is. but it's clouded by all that stuff. And so, and the cool thing about that is that I think a lot of people, they think, wow, God, it took me decades to fuck myself up. It's going to take me decades to clean myself up. And the truth is that all of that stuff that's been eclipsing isn't made of like metal and stuff. It's made of thoughts, made of, you can change that a lot quicker than you know. And it's insights. Yeah. A lot of people, I often, I say this thing because people think it's time. And I was like, it's not time. It's insights and realizations about the truth of who you are. That's what makes the difference. Now, for some people, it might be insights that come over a year. For some people, it might be stuff that comes over five, but who cares? Like, who cares? Mm -hmm. Like it will come when it's meant to come for you. And that's, that's beautiful. So you are whole. You just had a bunch of shit on top of it. That's made, that's made you think otherwise right you've got to label the shit first yeah yeah that helps label it you know where was I what happened and then and then understand 
what it gifted to you actually even sure. horrific experiences you know but but the essence is there like you said like that's that's like the core light of a, of a human being um and it, it's then you decide what do i keep and what do i dispose of what do i you know what do i no longer want to be part of but i see people have breakthroughs like you said sometimes it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it depends, you know, we have quite a lot of uh, information about the genetics and neurological wiring of people, warrior gene versus warrior gene, things like that. And some people might make certain types of breakthroughs a lot faster just because of their, their wiring, but it might take them longer to get there. So in the end, it's not a race anyway. You know, it's like when you, you've got children and they all learn to walk at different stages and you're like, but they're all going to be walking to school, God willing, you know, when they're four years old, it doesn't really matter um and it doesn't and it's, it's that whole concept again that classical concept of you know journey versus destination and we we never really get to a destination so we better sit back and start enjoying the journey yeah it is yeah <laughs> it is so it. it's so important what you say about um honoring all of that stuff because you know as it looks to me we're all doing what makes sense based on the level of understanding that we have. And most people, when they employ us, coaches or medical professionals, whoever, what they think they want is for someone to gang up on the bad stuff. Because if we just did that enough, then it would do one and then we'd be okay. But actually, a lot of the time, it's about honoring how that served us. And then in doing that, being able to release the pattern. So, because it's binary, right? A lot of the stuff, it's like, they're co-defining so we beat up on the stuff that we think is bad and then we kind of end up in these rotations in life but we got to fall through that right you know i'm smiling because there's two ways to practice nutrition right think about this right so out there you've got don't have this don't have that this is bad for you this hurts you this is poisonous this gives you cancer and then you have the way i practice and the way it should be practiced right let's add this in let's add that in have a bit more broccoli have some nuts. You can continue to have your cocoa pops. Just have a handful of nuts. Like, don't stop. Stop thinking about what you're doing wrong, and start thinking about how we can gradually do things right. And you know, then the, my, my favorite thing in the world is when people, you know, they're like, "Oh, I just didn't want that those ten biscuits anymore. I had yeah. one biscuit with my tea because <laughs> they were fulfilled from the lovely things that we added in. It wasn't mm. a fight. It wasn't." Yes. It wasn't this massive effort that diet industry is like, right, here's your program. Ah, like how long can you grit your teeth for? Yeah. It's just let yourself organic believe in your body's ability. The more good you put into it, the more it organic organically and intuitively wants that stuff. Mm. <laughs> he came to see me, he was very overweight and he had, you know, very processed diet. And he did brilliantly, right? And then he told me a story about he had to go and stay with his in-laws who bless them, all they eat is processed food. And he said he was with them for three days. And this is about only eight months into treatment with me. In the car on the way down, he, he was cry- actually physically crying to his wife. I just want some vegetables. I really, my body's just, <laughs> he wanted the freshness, the feel. And this is a man who only really started engaging with nutrition at about the age of 55. We can change at any time. We just need to be open, right? And nutrition is the most beautiful medium within which to kind of practice these concepts and learn to love ourselves. Mm. Because the way we eat is a lot about how we, just how we engage with ourselves and our life in general, our family of origin, our level of education around food, the planet, you know, agriculture, you name it. So we get into all these topics, but it's a wonderful way to just in tiny little steps start to, like we're talking about, care for ourselves. You know what? My lunch every day is always, I don't know, a sandwich from Tesco's. So you know what? 
I'm actually going to buy myself some fruit to go with the sandwich. I'm going to start understanding that I need a moment to care for myself. And that fruit is going to represent that. And it just grows. It's like a tree. Um, and this is what we watch. And so it kind of connected me to what you were saying before about, you know, this binary kind of the way the way people think about things and right, I'm starting to do better for myself. Stop being so aggressive with yourself, just slowly, just stop, you know, just think about it. Try a little step and see how you feel. It's got such a different feel to it. It's that that ease. And it, and then it's sustainable, right? On its own. Because it's yes. actually really nice. You're giving your body what it actually needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that gives you space. What's so amazing also about nutrition is that and it might be something that people, when they, they take alcohol out as an experiment, it might be something that they notice a few weeks in. Is stress resilience? Yeah. Because your nervous system isn't on fire or suffering and you're sleeping better and your metabolism is working better and so on and your gut bugs are happier. Even when stuff is happening to you, you're calmer. You you bounce off. It's that concept of bounce I, I speak about my clients with, which is like how quickly can, we all get knocked down, right? There's always stuff happening. How quickly do we get back up again? And so how well do things bounce off us? So we're just more of a kind of our own guru version when our nervous system isn't being interfered with by artificial things that we think help us because in a short term, they give us a sedation. And so, you know, greater stress resilience, well, life just feels more manageable all of a sudden. And, you know, all these gifts. And then when it feels more manageable, we do more positive things. Then we do more positive things and it feels more manageable. And it's like this, it's just that snowball effect. And that's where nutrition is so helpful um, because we have to eat multiple times per day. So it's always this window. This is why I'm not a religious person, but the loss of grace before meals or grace after meals, I think is is a massive loss Mm. to us as humans connecting with our plate, just taking I mean, these days it can just be five deep breaths before you eat your, you know, your food and just think about where it came from and give thanks that you have it. But we're like eating in front of screen. We're not pausing. We're not engaging. And so everything's just rushy, rushy. It's where nutrition can really offer in a very spiritual way, a way to kind of just put punctuation in our day. Mm. Um, that's the great part of my job. Lots yeah. of great parts. I was taken back to my time, this is years ago now, but in an ashram. Well, it really changed things for me, you know, eating in silence, chewing a minimum of 35 times. And and it was like, you know, it's not something I'm necessarily going to do for every single day and all that kind of stuff. But it made me realize it made me realize, oh, this is like a sacred time and blessing our food. And like, yeah, like you say, it doesn't have to be rooted in any kind of religious anything. But literally your energy, food is energy. It, it's like it's an incredibly spiritual experience to to be connected to food and people have forgotten that innocently but they've forgotten that anybody function sex sure. you know it can be it can be something that makes gives you really bad aftertaste or you can be the most elevated spiritual experience of your life yeah. eating as well all these things where we they have a bodily function but they also connect us mm-hmm. to ourselves and to the greater you know consciousness if you like yeah we can we can choose each time we we you know engage with them the language the lens with which we we look at that 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 function as and this is this takes me back to the debate on do i need that don't i need that we have needs from different dimensions of ourselves mm-hmm. and so sometimes with nutrition as well sometimes people coming off alcohol for example might feel that they're leaning too much on sugary things as well 
they can step into that need and they can say, okay, I'm going to give this to you. But let me ask you, you can, they can say to themselves, let me ask you at this time when you're eating this dairy milk or whatever, what are you feeling? And it's just this, it's just, you know, so there's so much language, there's so much, there's so much, there's so many messages that come in our behaviors if we can just pause and ask ourselves the questions without judgment. Mm. Mm. And uh, just, you've just touched on something that will be a big thing for folks right now that are in this experiment, um, sugar intake. And certainly that was something that happened to me uh, was that I I was craving a lot, a lot of sugary stuff, but I was so blown away that I wasn't drinking and I was happy about it and I didn't feel miserable yeah. that I, I kind of let it go. And I, and I just had this knowing of like, well, I'll work that out later on. Exactly. So I just wonder what's your you know, if, if if there are any things that you could um, offer just in terms of like how people can support themselves through it, because no doubt a bunch of people will be finding that they are reaching for sugary things or what they would consider as unhealthy things. And, you know, may, maybe not everybody can access a, a, a good dietitian right now, but what are the kind of the simple basic things that, that everybody could do? So first thing is, if if you're on your knees coping with not drinking, then if you're eating too many sugary things, like you said, sort out later, don't worry about it. Give yourself a few weeks. Like, you know, but if you feel like you have energy and, you know, the ability to apply yourself a little bit, one of the most important things you can do is regulate your blood glucose. And so how do we do that? We take our plate and we make sure we have a good portion of protein on it. So like a hand-sized piece of protein. So that's your chicken, fish, meat, beans, lentils, tofu. And then you have a fist-sized portion of carbohydrates eat a whole grain even better than you know a white grain but at the end of the day it doesn't matter eat some carbohydrates and then vegetables for the rest of the plate um a healthy fat on there is really helpful too so drizzling it with olive oil that three times a day so breakfast that might look at look like scrambled eggs with some vegetables on a piece of cedar toast um but three times a day will regulate the blood sugar and the same goes for any snacks if you're going to have the chocolate no problem but try and have some nuts with it those healthy fats um, and protein will help to regulate your blood sugar levels, which will be going crazy, you know, after taking the alcohol out. Second thing would be to get a multivitamin and take it. A lot of people who've been having, you know, a little too much alcohol are deficient in B complex vitamins. So now not, not everybody can absorb them from multivitamin, but it's still your greatest shot to go and take one um, every single day to support the body um, because chances are there's some deficiency there. Most of us aren't eating perfect diets and agriculture isn't, you know, the soil isn't as nourishing as it used to be. Um, So those two things combined should really make a person feel like, oh, that's a bit better. You know, I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. That thing about fat with sugars is so interesting. I know this from using like a continual glucose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I have something, some fats along with it, it's like, whoa, that's such a blunting to the glucose. It's insane. That's the word blunting. It's incredible. I was having consultation with a type one diabetic yesterday. So she's recently diagnosed. She has to inject insulin. It's all very complicated. Mm. So we're like really like I'm going into her diet, like very kind of in a very kind of clinical biochemical way, trying to manipulate her fat grams and things like that. To, to, you know, cause she's really into it. She's a scientist. So she's really, yeah. really into it. So, so if the 
probably the best thing you can do for blood glucose is to make sure you eat most of the protein on your plate and some of the fat before you even put the carbohydrate in. So if you came to my house and I was having, I don't know, rice and chicken and salad, you'd see that I eat my chicken and salad first and then I eat my rice. It's it's just the other way around. That doesn't mean I'm righteous and perfect all the time. <laughs> I had a wrap yesterday from Sainsbury's <laughs> and it was mostly, it was chickpea, it didn't have much protein in it and I, I ate the wrap because it was a wrap. I'm certainly not saying we do that all the time. It's what we're doing most of the time that matters. And that's the other message. Please don't beat yourself up if you kind of have, I don't know, a brownie for lunch. Just move on. It's done. Doesn't matter. You might want to ask yourself why you had the brownie for lunch, because then it's helpful information, uh, but not out of a judgment place. Doesn't help. That's huge. That's a massive, massive thing for people to hear. Mm. I'm so glad there are people um with your level of understanding who know the truth of who people really are working in the field that you're in Dahlia because I imagine there are a lot of people who are very kind of perhaps this is the wrong term but like purely scientifically minded about it and they're not they're not looking in any other direction it causes thank you for saying that I really appreciate that it's it's there's a mess out there with nutrition and we're under so much pressure already and uh, have you heard of orthorexia yes so I get a lot of orthorexic patients, particularly very young ones, actually, because I always remember being <laughs> my undergraduate wasn't in nutrition. It was in um, environmental biogeoscience at Leeds. Mm. And so I had a great time up there. So it's like 1999. Um, we're going to Morrison's and we're buying a kilo of Frosties and a kilo of Cocoa Pops in the first year because we weren't allowed to have fridges and kept keeping the milk outside on the balcony because we weren't allowed to have fridges <laughs> and, um, you know, eating all of that and then going home with a terrible chest infection. However, yes, our immune systems were crap. But there wasn't the same level of disordered eating. Now I treat a lot of students. Obviously, I'm based in Cambridge where there are these brilliant, brilliant minds. But I spend a lot of my time teaching these brilliant minds to become human. Yeah. You know, it's not going to kill you to have a Mr. Kipling Bakewell tart. Like, it's not going to give you cancer. Like, it, it's it's really scary. And then it's it's really the social media that's out there. And I get very annoyed with nutritionists who post their lunch and it's like a few leaves and like, I don't know, a tiny piece of fish. And you're, you're literally triggering eating disorders here. You've got to take responsibility when you're demonstrating what you're eating and be honest as well. You know, just be honest that eating a lunch like that will send you right to the ice cream later on because you're human. Like it's not, you, you can't, you can't, unfill a car with petrol and expect it to drive from London to Scotland, it will break down. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're physiological beings. And so keeping it real is extremely important to me. Um, but also giving people the confidence in their bodies that we are resilient. So there's all this debate right now about ultra processed food. And a lot of people are contacting me very, very nervous, must change everything. My child's diet. I'm like, can we see it as a project of the next couple of years, please? Let's change things bit by bit. Nothing, please. The stress causes inflammation. And that's the other thing, you know, with alcohol as well, if you're drinking alcohol, you're causing like a physiological inflammation to be higher. And then, but if you're going to lead, if you're not managing your stress and using alcohol to dampen down your stress, like the problem at the end of the day is stress management, right? Mm. For a lot of people. And so again, giving thanks to the alcohol sometimes, maybe it overall it helped in those years until you were able to come to a place and say, hang on a second, Dahlia in the dentist chair, what has happened to you? My poor, poor Dahlia, please let me piece you back together again somehow. Yeah. I, so, but I'm so happy you share that. I have a personal story of that, of like where extreme health basically led to just, just we talk about co-defining poles of two things where 
I'd get away with that for a while and then something would switch and then I'd have massive episodes of binge eating and I'd rotate from one to the other. And very common. It's and it started off with me learning about, you know, yogic fasting and all this kind of stuff. Um, But it it becomes and the way that I broke that cycle was to effectively bring was well to see through the misunderstanding I had the good food, bad food dynamic, which isn't a true dynamic. It's just a judgment we've made to see through that. But to bring a bunch of the foods that I'd had on, in air quotes, the naughty list back in every single day. So to eat a Twix or a Mars bar in the afternoon to yeah, realize it's hell, the world doesn't end. Yeah, and it's that, medicine. Ironically, it's medicine was what, what cured me in those. But that That is the challenge I give to patients. In the, We do it step by step, obviously, you know, recovery from orthorexia. But I'm like, what was your favorite chocolate bar when you were seven? I can tell them, you know, for me, I love Kit Kat. I like to eat around the stick, you know, like all, all the chocolate off and then yeah. left with wafer. Very awkwardly when I was a child, my aunt that come from abroad, she found me at the biscuit stage and she's like, give me some. And she sat there eating the biscuit that I'd like licked around and you know, God knows what I'd done. And very awkward. <laughs> anyway, that's me going on a tangent. But the point is, it's actually prescriptive at that point mm. to go back to your childhood chocolate bar and sit and watch TV. Oh, my God. Eating in front of a screen, like do everything wrong. Yeah. And actually be like, actually, we're quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Nothing happened. Now I'm going to go and have my healthy dinner. Like, it's fine. It's just about there's so much fear. People are always looking for control, aren't they? Because we're all really stressed about just death most of the time. Mm. Um, People are looking for for control. And, you know, my children come home sometimes. They're like, this person said that after you die, you go to heaven. I'm like, darlings, nobody knows what happens to us after we die. And some people are just very uncomfortable in sitting in that. I don't know. Mm. But we have to sit in the I don't know. And so when we're, you know, again, if we're being orthorexic or if we're swinging from one side to the next, it's really helpful information that, oh, we're not feeling very well mentally. Something's happening. Let's just give ourselves a hug and maybe speak to someone or just even but that 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 lovely sentence that you gave before about, you know, learning how to feel. Our relationship with ourselves, I think, is the most important relationship of our life and the ability to sit and say to ourselves, are you OK? What's going on? And then employ help if we need to. But some people can't do that yet. That's what we work on when we work with people in healthcare, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just looking at the time and I'm like, I'm not even sure we've got time for the poo story now. Oh, it's always time. Squeeze the poo story in. <laughs> so if you, if you, um, if you fancy working with Dahlia one-to-one, it's a wonderful experience, but the, 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 um, the most soul-destroying part of it for me was having to do the, the poo testing. <laughs> I've done three of them. You have oh. had loads in my life. <laughs> oh, I just... Uh, oh, this was quite oh. particular, though, Sam, because you've got, like, four different tubes, so you've got to, oh, like, done that one and as you well. can't get too much and you can't get too little. Yeah. So that's it. I've done that's those. It. The one where they test for blood in your poo and then the other ones where they, like, I've done... Yeah, yeah. it, it was like a little... I've had to do it once where it's, like, it had to set up, like, a little sort of... Um, anyway. A little station. Like a yes. fat station, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Station on the bathroom floor. Like, yeah. was, Mummy, what are you doing in there? I got that. I was like, no, oh, just fiddling with my poo. And then you have to practical joke yourself, right? You have to put, like, cling film on the loo or whatever. This is one yeah. way of doing it. That thing yeah. that people used to do at uni if they were feeling horrible, put cling film on so you can't see it. So you have to like perform a practical <laughs> joke on yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what? Uh, oh, story. Yeah. So that that took that took about, I don't know, it was 20 minutes. I remember just being there thinking, like, I, I really don't want to be doing this. And, the, and I think the worst part of it was that it, within the documentation, that, as you said, they're very particular about what the stick has to look like when it comes back out. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you're there, prodding. No, that doesn't look quite right. And it goes again. <laughs> it's just forever. And then and, and then it all culminates, of course, and you've got to post this thing off. And when I went to post it at the post office, I had a really surly guy behind the, the other side of the thing. And so I took great pleasure in handing over my poo in a um, parcel, thinking, you're holding my poo now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad that um, – oh, do I have to do it again, Dahlia? I might Yes. Have. Yes. At some point. It would be good because we could see which changes we've made and which changes we still I, I personally do it once a year on average. Uh, my last test kit got rejected because I didn't put enough poo on the stick. And they're like, Dali, it's very embarrassing because it's you and this is what you do for a job, but your test kit has been rejected. And I was like, oh, God, we'll send you another one, you know, for free. And I'm like, thanks. Here we go again. I'm going to find another moment in my day to dig around my poo because um, you can't predict when you're going to poo either. So it's like you're in between, for me, if I'm in between patients or if I'm going to take my kids swimming, I don't have time to like, it's like I need that time. It's tricky, isn't it? But it's worth it. We get a lot of good information. Well, it was it was fascinating because I was desperate to know what was going on in my gut, and it it was fascinating. And yeah. uh, you know, it, uh, one of the things that I'd kind of dabbled in a few years ago, actually before I stopped drinking, was this. Um, there's a book called The Gut Balance Revolution, and mm. uh, he talks uh, as you do about the gut being a garden, and this whole idea of you know you you weed it first, you get rid of all of the crap, and you reseed. And then you have like this, you know, new way of tending to your garden going forward. And, and many years ago, when I went through that protocol, it was it, it was hugely helpful. And I felt amazing at the end of it. But it was very, very challenging to begin with because it, it was, I mean, temporarily, but it was so restrictive. And what I liked about when um, Iron Man put me on to you, one of the things he said was like those sorts of protocols that like it. it they're too hard because it's it's this blanket it, it's not it's not um uh, tailored to you and the whole digging through your poo might be a soul destroying experience but it then means that the work that you're doing with somebody like you Dahlia is absolutely personalized to you yeah. so there 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 is a benefit folks yeah because I, I might you know I work heavily with disordered eating I guess that would be my other specialism if I had to do it and yeah I see the impact of heavily restrictive diets on people long term and if you are convinced that this doesn't agree with you and that doesn't agree with you and that doesn't agree with you it's it's really mentally challenging to bring that back in mm. um and it's a book that's waiting to be written if no one's done it yet and i don't have the time to do it yet but um you know eating disorders associated with digestive problems because i certainly you know in my early 20s and i didn't know what the hell was going on in my gut and no one could help me um you know i didn't eat this and i didn't eat that maybe it's this maybe it's that we're trying to seek control over something that has, you know, horrible random symptoms that hit you at crazy times. Um, but often this, the whole system is off. That's the problem. It's not particularly that food. It's just the system is off and stress isn't being managed very well as well. So it's like those two things. But yeah, the poo test is brilliant for the biochemical side and then saving people from going on elimination diets of this and that and the other, which doesn't really get to the root of the problem because you're not supposed to grow older and not be able to tolerate 500 different things that mm. that's just that's just not logical something's going wrong with your organ so if people are up for that if they're up for the uh for the for the poo stuff how do they uh contact you and all that all that cool stuff Dali? they can go to my website um and just book an appointment um and then we will get started awesome and just remind us of what your website is dahlia we'll put it with the short it's dahlianutrition.com Cool. okay thank you oh there's so much in there like i could literally I I mean, like, 
I could talk about this for days and days and days. I've been obsessed and really addicted to like functional nutrition and diet yeah, yeah, podcast yeah, 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 yeah. for for years. So yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a geek thing yeah. for me. I love it. So yeah. and the wonderful thing about being a registered dietitian is that I get to bridge the world of like functional nutrition, yeah. which can get quite obsessive about sure. components into the behavioral science as a registered dietitian. Yeah. So we're almost like behavioral coaches in many ways. And so then I get to call for which person where am I going to lean and what's the mm. most important thing that I think is going on um, and that's that's a really beautiful space to occupy mm. yeah thanks for what you do it's really cool thank you for what you do it's fascinating I'm going to go read more about it I feel like I don't know enough yeah well we definitely have you back on um, I don't Yay. want to speak for you but we'd love to have I just you. saw a glimpse of some hair at the back there oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looking out the back yeah alright awesome. right thanks for coming bud anything else you want to say Ellie Crow? No, just a huge thank you. I knew it was going to be an awesome conversation. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you, Thank Dali. Thank you for having me. Thank you.